Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is The Twilight Saga. I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the champion of the Twilight Saga, Tom Stewart himself. Say hello, Tom. Hello, biceps. (laughs) That line really sums up this movie for me because there is literally no... That line sums up this movie for you and you declared it good? (laughs) There's no understatement in any of the dialogue or any of the action in the movie, yet it's performed with such a fascinating lack of interest from from the actors themselves. (laughs) You think a line like Hello Biceps would imply some passion behind it. No, no. They've They've chosen not to go with that. That's great. So it's it's that it's that uh, dichotomy that that fascinates me, <laughs> and reminds me of a lifetime movie, as I said in our minisode. I mean, that's you know, it's like it's like how can you be saying these passionate things with literally no emotion behind them? Right. It's like exactly. it's like Velveeta. You know, I don't like it, but I'm curious about it. I wanna I wanna know more about it as a substance because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> that is great. Oh shit. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about the Twilight Saga New Moon, a 2009 film directed by Chris Weitz. Tom Chris Weitz, capable. About a boy. Good about movie. a boy. Yeah, Golden Compass, which is a mess of a movie, but from what I understand, the studio kind of took that movie over, oh. and that wasn't a good idea. Uh, uh, Operation Finale. Don't know that. And then, you know, a lot of writing. Rogue One. That's Cinderella, right. That I, was, I, was, uh, I was quite struck by yeah. that. Um, but, you know, did, didn't everyone write a little bit of Rogue One? <laughs> like everyone in Hollywood Probably. had their turn, it seems. Now... This movie has the second lowest Rotten Tomatoes rating, for your information. Oh. 28% this movie comes in at. It's still pretty good. It's better this average where, than we usually uh, deal with. Wait, it's say a better it average than we're usually dealing with. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and this movie, the one thing that separates this movie from most of the other movies is a much smaller budget. Uh <laughs> Only fifty million dollars for a budget. Opening weekend of a hundred and forty-two point eight. Holy shit! They should have gone back. They Dude. really should have gone back to Volvo and asked for more money. It's like, right, guys, yeah. or Virgin Atlantic. It's Vol- like, guys, we put one of your planes in this movie, and it had no relation to the story. We showed it for like a minute. It had nothing to do with anything. Give us more money. It's like Marlboro and uh, Coke in Superman 2. Yeah, except uh, except this... that you it's literally like we show a plane except none of the characters are on that plane. <laughs> There's no reason for that plane to be in the movie. So I I'm surprised that they didn't get more uh su- you know like support from from the product placement in this movie because it is all over this movie. In yet it another is. fascinating way. <laughs> but, the, fuck, man, these movies are juggernauts. $297.8 million in the U.S. and $711 million in the world. Yeah. I get it. I mean, it's strange because we're not even a decade removed from these movies. And as far as uh, their place in Hollywood history, they they feel like an afterthought already, but... It's hard to... That's interesting. 
you know, I mean, they were, you know, they were so present and so mm -hmm. they mattered so much to the young people that were seeing them at the time they came out. Like they just loved them. Well, also, and, you know, we'll, we'll probably get into this during the podcast as well, but I guess the, like the, the biggest reading between the lines, the big thing at the time must have been vampires and zombies that there, there was it's a real kind of like you're either a, like a it's like beetles or stones you're either a zombie or a vampire person at this point in <laughs> right. monster movie history that seems to be the line that the movie's pushing i don't remember that i'm probably too old to re have really uh, even then to have engaged with whatever that subcultural war was but that that seems to be the battle lines that are being drawn here. It's like you either like intelligent monster movies or stupid vampire movies. Right. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, it was funny to like just my the very first note that I had was, uh, is this movie going to be good? Because I like the music on that title card. Mu I, I like... I, I my overall take is I like all the mu music in all of these movies, but I I, yeah, I made actually, a note I do too. and we're talking about some big hitters, you know, Desplat, Howard Shaw, uh Carter yeah. Burwell. Um and yeah, it's one of my first notes. You know, it reminds me of mid century movie melodrama. There's a touch of Bernard Herman Hitchcock scores in there. And it gave me this mm -hmm. kind of old school vibe that made me want to engage with this movie in a in a more sort of uh, romantic, nostalgic way than perhaps I would have otherwise been inclined to do. You know what I also, um, I mean, I, I like you because there's there's putting aside the scores too. There's so many pop songs. <laughs> like over the credits and at the end of these movies uh, that I didn't remember th being in the movies. Yeah. And uh, I was surprised at how well they all seem to fit for this franchise. Yeah. Um, I actually, and but what, what's kind of interesting, I mean, this is the one, probably the most left field soundtrack of all of them. Cause isn't it, it's like a, it's an electronic solo track from Tom York of Radiohead mm -hmm. in this one. Um, and I, I think I, like I made a note saying that, that this feels wrong for anything that's like about vampires or werewolves, but it's perfect for a movie about teen angst. So yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. It makes the transition through music really well, but you have both. And I guess overall in the series, you have a mix of very mm -hmm. old school monster melodrama uh, like Bride of Frankenstein stuff mixed with, you know, insipid emo teen movies. Okay. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I'm interested to know. <laughs> I don't have a problem. <laughs> yeah. We have yet to identify a problem with anything you say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so... We have like we, I, I I'm I'm trying to decide what I want to talk about first. So much of these movies have uh, Bella, uh, you know, a uh, little chitty chat throughout the movie. It sounds <laughs> like a, a, a. I've never I've never heard you use that term before. Interesting that <laughs> you crack it out for this series. What chitty chat? <laughs> She's got her little voiceover chitty chat. Oh chats. yeah yeah no that's an entirely accurate way of describing a voiceover yeah. But we've got, you know, the dime store novel kind of detective attitude. It just reminded me, it reminded me, A, of Blade yeah. Runner. <laughs> because there's no emotion behind it, just like Harrison Because Ford's there's no emotion behind any of it, exactly. Of those lines, yeah. But what I also found interesting, juxtaposing two things against each other, how did you feel about the inclusion of, um, you know, these violent delights have violent ends, Romeo and Juliet, bringing back your, you know... We talked briefly about how much I think Stephanie Myers thinks she's yeah. writing Shakespearean level drama. Mm -hmm. um, but that's also, of course, so prevalent in Westworld. And yeah, 
you know, by the way, I don't I didn't mention this in our in our introductory podcast, but Tom, I saw all these movies in the theater. Yeah, well, I take that as red now. I'm sure you unless I'm sure you, you say you otherwise. That, but, yeah. <laughs> it's a given. I did not. I did not. I I I but streamed or What I find interesting all. is you know, I remember hearing that in the West World and just loved the notion of these lines of of from from Romeo and Juliet coming at the beginning of that. And I like I'll never forget it. But when I heard it in this, my first thought was, boy, I don't remember that that was in there. Mm, interesting. Which I think says something about this movie and these, this project overall. Yeah. I mean, I get Well, the Paul, Paul Shear rule is that. Is it Paul Shear or Paul Rust? I think it's Paul Rust, actually. Yeah, sorry. I'm getting my Paul. I'm getting my Pauls who cover bad movies. Get your Pauls right, damn it. <laughs> I, he says that, you know, well, then the signs of a bad movie is when you have a, a voiceover that never reappears again. But this one does. Mm-hmm. Ties together the movies nicely. Sporadically, uh, though, throughout the series. Yeah, but especially in this one. Um, I mean, obviously, the Romeo and Juliet is, you know... So on the nose, but that's pretty par for the course for the for these movies. Uh, I mm-hmm. like that they were trying to acknowledge the lineage of teen melodrama that this is all in, that this is all a, you know like a part of. Um, yeah, and you know it, it 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 in terms of like setting expectations, the fact that it didn't just give you the quote, it showed you her reading the play. Yeah. That said everything, you know, that's everything I need to know. It's like, there's nothing that's going to be unsaid in this movie. Like, there's no room for ambiguity anywhere. And I find that I find that. So you can always comforting. get up and go to the bathroom or make your sandwich or get a new drink yeah. because you knew that it would be re-explained. You don't pause. I, I, I found it you oddly comforting. You don't fear missing any portion of this movie. Right. And, you know, a, a, half, <laughs> a, a, a ripped, half-naked man comes towards you and she says, hello, biceps. So it's the same thing. It's like it's like you could go away and find out that that quote was from Romeo and Juliet. You don't need to. Look, they're going to show you the cover of the book. So, again, that, that, uh, that, that dialectic's very appealing to me. And it's lifetime through and through. All right. Let me ask you this. What the fuck is this movie about? What's it about? Yeah, what happens? Because to me, this is love, one of those... Love happens. Nah, well, he... but this is one of the movies in the series where there isn't a clear plot. Right. We don't... There you know, are some it's big just, story It's just problems. listing about yeah. as it goes along. My my one Until... my one big revision would have been to push the breakup up top to have the movie start with that. So the movie so that's the so thing. The movie is about the breakup, so... but but you know we've seen so many so I... many sequels that operate in this way where they they pick up where the last movie ended almost like almost immediately afterwards. Then they do a fucking time lapse, like. Putting those two things back to back may renders both of them pointless. It's right. like start with the time lapse, you know, have the have the montage that takes you to October. Well, what I was equating it to was think back to the early uh, Tobey Maguire Spider Man. Mm-hmm. So that first Spider Man ends yeah. with a place for the sequels to go because this woman he's been in love with his whole high school life says. Hey, I'm seeing you in a different way now. What do you think? And he says, I can't do it. Mm. And so now he's saying, like, this is my life. This is my choice. This is my curse. This, you know. And and so you leave that movie able to go somewhere else. This movie has them completely in love at the start. Mm -hmm. And then he just says, you know, I got to go. And also, like, not a huge mistake to me. And not only that, Bella is represented as... I just as had an image, sorry an, to interrupt, I just had an image of you as Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman, like saying big mistake <laughs> and like storming out of Chris Huge. storming out of Chris White's office. You, you guys work on commission, don't you? <laughs> to, to Roy Orbison. Big mistake. Huge. So, so, but to me, 
like Bella is a is represented as a very intelligent woman. Is she though? Her friends don't seem to think so, and her the friends are alike are the audience surrogates as far her school friends are the are the only people who right. whose opinion can be relied on in any of these movies. I, I would say. Right, but and they and they like, seem to don't... think she's a disaster. <laughs> Maybe emotionally, but I don't think intellectually. I guess yeah. my only point is. Edward's trying to break up with her is the worst. It's a worse deep fake than the baby <laughs> deep fake. <laughs> like, there is no reason to believe mm-hmm. that he actually wants to do this. And yet she just takes it at face value. Now, now maybe you get away with that because they're teenagers. And, you know, when a teen when a teenager breaks up with you, you just fall to pieces and think why 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 yeah she she does me, literally that and i loved it she i yes, love the exactly. fact that these that the, these totally insignificant moments in someone's life like you know breakup of a boyfriend you, you've barely even been with is like rendered as if she's like dying of smallpox and that's you know that's where yeah, right. romantic melodrama is 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 fabulous you know it's like but it's not like Robert Pattinson is playing any of those scenes with stern resolve. No, it's over. I don't want you. It's all like, no, I have, I don't want you. I can't be with you. you well, he comes. Like, he comes just... up with the with the compromises. Like, look, I'll occasionally appear to you as a force ghost. How about that? As a ghost? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> He also says one of the reasons they have to leave is that Carlisle is is supposed to be 10 years younger and people are starting to get weird about it. This also is a so can I just assume that this is a lie because the whole family comes back by the end of this movie and it's not a problem anymore. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if you want if if you want to be cynical, it's to get them out of the way so we can do, you know, we can talk about the werewolves, basically. Yeah, right. And, you know, it's. I think all those problems could be solved if you pushed. I mean, all of these movies have that one structural flaw. If you come into this movie and, with a breakup, and this one, I think, I think, right. I think it's that the breakup should be sooner, should be the top of the movie, so that the it's movie like 25 is twenty-five minutes into the movie. So that the movie is about breaking up, um, right? And I, you know, frankly, I would lose all that stuff. That you know, you, you'd lose some Michael Sheen, but. Um, he's in enough of the last movie. You 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 lose all that stuff in in Italy make this movie about mm-hmm. a breakup but that's how i would have done it but if then then it All would right. feel less Point like num- two movies welded together well i'm glad uh you concede on my first it don't point. bother me <laughs> <laughs> that's how i would have done it differently you know i'm 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 not in charge here um oh, and again boy. you know i think it's like there's a little bit of imbass there too, and we okay. want we How want so? Robert. I mean, because it's the sequel, we want to take we want to take the character that we've already explored and move him out of focus, so we can focus on a on a new character, drop a new one, which is uh, uh, your favorite Taylor Lautner. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we're developing. You know, we're using the sequel to to develop new characters. And, you know, fill in more about the characters that we already know. So, I, I think that works. It just... Well, I think that's also one of my problems with the movie, though. It's like... um, like It's like peeking behind the curtain. Like you oh, can you see can the, see the choices. The clunky machinations yeah. of, of them, tr- you know, trying of how they're going to remove him and how they're going to bring Jacob to the forefront. And that's a little clumsy to me. Oh, it's all clumsy. Yeah, not a little clumsy. Sorry, (laughs) I misspoke. It's a lot clumsy. It's It's all clumsy. We're talking about a movie. Also, we have to remember, we're in a movie where the dialogue, this is a line of dialogue. At one point, Jacob turns (laughs) to Bella and says, me being a mechanic type friend... Right? We know he's a mechanic. We can see he's a mechanic. 
doesn't need to say right. that. But it's just like, I guess, that sort of, you have to see everyone's intentions all the time, whether that's in production <laughs> decisions or what the characters are doing and thinking on screen. Nothing is left to the imagination. No, um, no. So I, I, while I, what you're saying is definitely true, you know, if you're in a screenplay writing workshop, you would be like, you know, ripping. You would show the first 40 pages of this script and say, how do you fix you it? You would be crossing out everything and that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, within the frame of this particular type of movie, it is not at all inconsistent. And it's about whether you buy into the effect of this type of movie, which is, as I said, the same feeling I get from Lifetime movies, where it's like, right. I know I can, I, <laughs> I'm taking a couple hours off uh, from, yeah, so, from, from, okay, cognitive, fine. Own... from cognitive, uh, uh, you know, um, routines. <laughs> yes, based on based on its own terms of not being good, it's good. Let's leave it right yeah. there. Take our first break. <laughs> And we'll come back right That is what I'm this. arguing, isn't it? That is what I'm arguing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Velveeta. It's not good, but it's good. It's not cheese, but it's good. All right, everyone. We'll be right back right after this. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the Twilight Saga New Moon. All right, Tom, here's a <laughs> here's a note towards the top of my notes list. This 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 movie starts off as a mixture of John Hughes with Anne Rice with Teen Wolf. Yeah, none of that can be denied. That that sit well on the poster. <laughs> Especially but, now. So now here's we're all old. Here's the thing that I will say about this movie. This movie is interesting adjacent. <laughs> Whenever they start talking, she actually has a line that says, if this is about my soul. <laughs> and I find all of that very interesting. I wish it was taken further, like I said before. Yeah. And it's not taken further or seriously enough. But it's there enough to, to at least, like... It never seeks to answer the question, but it throws the question no. and lets it linger there in front of the audience if you're you know, willing to pay attention to it at all. I mean, you know, va vampires are... Vampires are certainly doubling metaphorically for, in, in this context, abstinence. Yeah. Right. That's pretty, I mean, famously... You know, that's what the books and movies have, uh, you know, talked about on a symbolic level. Mm -hmm. I also got a little bit of mental health and drug addiction. You know, so real, much mental real health. Real after school special, like, you know, this is the basically anything that you want to say to teens, it's like, 
anything that's like giving into a sort of carnal urge. Um, the vampires and to some extent the werewolves are rep- representing how you can like live with with that animal part of you, mm-hmm. but not succumb to it. So that seemed yeah, and so it it. it there's all these jumping off points and eventually it'll come back round to to um sex but right. along the way there's also just a general after school special feel about how you know teens deal with their complicated puberty feelings well let's not let's also consider you know when you're in high school it's easy to imagine and fall in love with characters who fall in love who are your age. Because mm-hmm. you have this romantic notion about love, right? Yeah. As you get older, do you have any concern? Like, do you have concerns that these kids are all making their choices at 17, 18, or 19, that they found their lo- the love of your their lives? Which... So here's the thing, though, like as well, they're not seven. I mean, how old are they? How old are the actors? Because that's all that really matters. Well, I think she's supposed to be 18 and started filming when she was 19. Kristen Stewart. Uh, It's pretty close. So it's close. Um, And you don't want to take away their autonomy. Like their their true feelings. Yeah. But when you get older, when you watch it as an adult. You like I kept having these thoughts of. You barely know who you are yourself when you're 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what good are you to someone else until you, you know what I mean? So does any of that play for you as you watch these movies or do you just accept it on their own terms and who gives a fuck? No, these are they're all very, you know, very important. Um, very, very important things to, to think about. Um. It's strange because those aren't the, <laughs> those aren't the, the big choice. Like the, the we're we're looking at characters who are going through big changes and having to make difficult choices. But none of those choices are, is it too soon to, like, end my life, right. <laughs> for this man? Yeah, who's not even a man, um, or this werewolf, or this is mm-hmm. this, this man who's actually a werewolf, um. It's interesting that that I and again I think it's like it's that weird and this is a horror movie thing too. It's like this weird sense of parentless children. Like you have to have like complete absentee parents or parents who are so passive that they have no bearing on the on the choices of the of the teenage characters. Because if they did, they would just shut it down immediately. Be well, like, and that's what's interesting. Don't you is... fucking talk like? But instead, we've got a guy who's like, I don't like that vampire. You should go off with that werewolf. Yeah, right. <laughs> I work with his, I work with his dad. He's great. I was just gonna say because I I I don't know if you remember the first movie or if you've even seen it. But, yes, I've seen it. But uh, I do remember because when I you... make an exception for a really good series. What's that? I make an exception for the for the better series. <laughs> for fuck's sake! God damn it! <laughs> but one of the things I remember about meeting Charlie Swan, when like the first time you see Billy Burke is, like he hasn't seen his daughter in a long time. She's coming to live with him, and he shows her the room, and he's like, "I did this, and I got you these sheets, and." Okay, yeah. and he just sort of walks out the room, and no, and she has that, the voiceover I mean, that, that, of like the one thing you gotta like about Charlie, you know, he's he's not just hovering all the time, or he's you know some some line like that. He needs that. to be he needs to be more of a helicopter parent of anything, right? So so he can shut shut this shit down before. But I guess that's what I was gonna say. That's dying. interesting. Is they set him up like that, a? But they also, I mean, he's present in all the movies, just right. never enough. To be the parent he's supposed to be, yes, and and he's not, and and but they're not saying he's a bad parent either. He's like he's a very caring parent. It's so, it's interesting. Like again, like one of the things I really like about all of these movies is that they are they they're very. It's very grassroots, in the genre that they're in. So you know, you go back to you know, horror movies featuring teens, you trace that back to 
you know, Hansel, Hansel and Gretel and mm-hmm. like fairy tales. It's all the same shit, you know. The parents are either not there or they're not talked about, so we can enact this weird. So we can, yeah, right. So we can have this sort of fantasy of 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 basically children who have this kind of autonomy, so we can see all these things happening to them. And again, I think it it, it just it it not it's not unimportant. And of course, these movies are sending out disturbing social messages about. Um, you know about how how children you know children have the right to choose in some senses but in the other senses if it's anti-christian no mm-hmm. um so there's 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 definitely i'm not saying that that movies shouldn't be socially responsible but if you look at where these movies are coming from generically um in the horror fairy tale world we we have this we have this these weird grown-up kids who rule the genre yeah right and that's why, and that's part of I think why we always cast a little older than the characters are for lots of reasons. Also, apparently, so you don't need to have a digital baby. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> not that I think that's been a problem for any other movie. Um, but so I think that's a big a, a big part of it, and the fact you know I, I I kind of I see these movies quite romantically in terms of uh, you know teen melodrama and the oh yeah and i mean horror and fairy tales in which there is that complete suspension of disbelief as like of you know the, these kids well that's where i think they're really successful determine their destinies which is obviously yeah. as as any teenager knows and probably why these movies are so attractive to 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 teenagers it's like these kids can do what they want basically and i can't mm-hmm. right <laughs> But I think that is one of the reasons they're so successful. They they really yeah. on on the level of melodrama. Like they're succeeding on that front. Well, interesting. I mean, like melodrama, like structurally, representationally, not in terms of acting. Right. This, this, right. It's really like it's in the terms full, of story. I mean, in terms of. Um. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's not. <laughs> It's not the actors. No. They're not acting. It's the structure of the story itself. Right. Michael Sheen excluded. <laughs> <laughs> but um So if but then I guess that's the modern part of it is like we're we're right in the heart of, you know, the the peak of emo or or emu, as it's <laughs> it's also sometimes said. You go fuck you see, yourself, you, mister. You see how I helped you out there? <laughs> Re- I reclaimed emu for you. Oh, fuck. Um, but this is like a like slap in the middle of emo culture. Yeah. And the acting and the portrayal of the teen characters is based on that. So you have... Mel- you have melodramatic conventions in everything but the performance, but right. But the performance, and to some extent, the writing side of things is be the, the dialogue side of things is being dictated by a very, at the time, contemporary way of looking at the world, which is this very sort of uninterested, insipid, you know, can't be seen to be emotional, can't be seen to be caring, but are introspective but incredibly emotional which is very again a very weird set of paradigms that emo set right but it's all you know <laughs> so so you know this will one day be like a fascinating historical document of emo cinema i think <laughs> like the time we tried to do emo with vampires and werewolves well in terms of the dialogue and i i, I don't know if it's the acting itself it feels maybe like the director's pushed maybe all the actors towards this too because you're you in our introductory episode said uh that there's subtext in this movie i don't know think... no 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 well i said that, that there there's subtext for a second and then that subtext is revealed in okay. either dialogue all right, all right. or action as to what yeah. it's supposed to be because to me subtext doesn't there is last not a long. single character in these movies that doesn't say exactly what they're thinking right yeah yeah but it's like it plays with the idea that there might be a subtextual meaning to something that happened and then they blurt out what that is mm-hmm. almost immediately. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> no, man. All right. Well, this is where we have this sort of classic sequel inversion where we drop right. the vampires and start dealing with the new characters, the wolves. Smart move. <laughs> what? It is. It is. It is. It is. Uh, but I think all I of like that's it more undercut than the Italian stuff. by terrible acting. So. You yeah. wanna you wanna stick up for Taylor Lautner? Not for his acting. I just have a tremendous soft spot for him. Um, so you agree with me on the acting well, then? I don't know. It's difficult to tell. He's in this not good, movie. Tom. Yeah, I I I can believe that. <laughs> his teeth are really distracting. Oh, and annoying. I just don't think makes me feel bad. They're so just fucking think, straight and white. You know, uh, a uh, a Native American from kid from that part of the world has that ability to whiten <laughs> in the way that the way that his teeth are whitened. Uh, well, I mean, it's natural. Yeah, I, but he's sort of, as I remember it, he's coming out of being very cud. Like in the first movie, he's very kind of cuddly and kiddish. I can't remember. And Does he cut his hair in this movie, or is it not till the next movie? No, he cuts it in this one. Yeah, I okay. Think. I'm pretty but sure. But like he halfway does. through, right? Yeah, he starts out. You're right, exactly. Um, I don't know. I I didn't think he was significantly off the pace of most of the acting in Michael Sheen excluded in this <laughs> in this movie. Fuck <laughs> it. Um, You're wrong. He's significantly worse than the other actors. Distractingly mm. so. Okay. I just I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I don't think anything I've... leaves his lips uh, believable. Hmm. Apologies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think of the of the wolves themselves? Because that's a well, I think they get that's a big move in the. That's... It's a huge move. And I think they look the worse and terrible in this movie specifically. No, I disagree. I think I think the I think all the effects in the last movie are the worse oh, no. version of. I like the fact that it really looks like Taylor Lautner when he's a wolf. Okay. In fact, in fact, maybe maybe that wolf is a better actor than <laughs> <laughs> that digital wolf. Because there's one moment at the end where he kind of turns and does like a teenager turn and basically is like going, I'm going to go to my room. <laughs> right. And it's like, it looks like, it just looks like a teenager doing that. So uh, it's a bit jolty. I think it plays well within the world. Fine. I, I thought it I was impressive it for okay. 2009. I don't think we have many good wolves in 2009, did we? Digitally? Well, that's the thing is like, because they choose to make them so big. Well, that's stupid. I mean, we, there's um, no defending that. Yeah. So the co the disparity inside is com in size is comical. Yeah, and well, and I, you know, because we're dealing with fur, like hair, you know. <laughs> also, I just again on that on that sliding scale of, I shouldn't like it, but I do. <laughs> is the easiest werewolf transformation in the history of cinema. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He just wobbles and becomes a wolf. I also... And for some reason... And part of me was like... I was like, obviously... That's very underwhelming. Then part of me was like, but do I want to see them try and do American Werewolf in London? Right. No. So... That didn't bother me at this all. Is better than it's, that? You know, is it's, that, is, it's like, did I, they make the right choice? <laughs> like I said, because these movies aren't, for the most part, horror movies. So that's not that's not the definitely not this one. No, no yeah, that's not what they're going for. There, Do you know what? Counts there is no exciting... body horror in it. In fact, the only thing that the only yeah. the only recurring thought you have involving the wolf transformations is, Jesus, I hope those kids invested in jean shorts. <laughs> that's all you. <laughs> that's that's all you could possibly keep thinking about. But but I thought I thought the la I mean apart from you know trying to get the you know, uh, a more family-friendly rating. I thought that it was... 
the lack of gore was very deliberate to you know go for the more kind of tasteful yeah. side of ho- more tasteful side of horror which in those sort of the scenes in Rome when Michael Sheen rips a man's head off and there's like zero blood and it's you know there's like operatic music playing in the background mm-hmm. it's like oh you know we just we want to be refined in our in how we do horror we don't want to be tasteless with it right i thought that's what that scene was kind of all about really um so i didn't mind that um i didn't i mean from an action perspective i really didn't like how the the wolf fighter battle scenes were directed i think it's probably the weakest right depiction of that you know and again it's like 2009 we just loved it when things were shaky when the camera was shaking when camera you, was you shaky were all the time, how do you, you feel about because this also isn't explored at all in these movies so you have vampires how do you feel about that those effects the the, the fast walks the blur I don't have a problem with those. I don't have a problem with those either. But the thing I do have a problem with is that 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 is telling the audience that they move at a speed we can't deal with. (laughs) You never see that on the wolves. And yet the wolves are constantly catching up to running vampires. Mm. The physics of that. Oh, because they can do parkour. Doesn't match. (laughs) It's because they can do parkour. It's 2009. Parkour explains everything. Get the fuck out of here. No, I, I, literally, I literally think that's that's what it is. And it's that, I guess you could say, oh, it's, you know, they, they know the woods well. They know the woods. <laughs> I don't know. The vampires who are hunting I t- in the I'll woods tell you what I found, every night I found for very... centuries don't know the woods. Get the fuck out. I tell you what, what I found difficult to take about the werewolves, which is something that they happily correct in Eclipse. Uh, I don't think that when they, when they've stopped, you know, when they go back to being, I don't know, when they de-transform into humans, that their lust for blood will be slaked by large blueberry muffins. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like it in Eclipse when we see them, like, you know, digging, chomping down on some meat. Well, and like after right. a night of hunting, after a night of I hunting, I don't like seeing them with like a with fucking baked Starbucks goods. muffin with baked goods. Yeah, I can't disagree. All right, we're gonna take another break. Oh wow, okay. We'll take another break, everybody, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna finish up with this messy movie in the biggest misunderstanding in the history of cinema. <laughs> We'll be right back. (laughs) If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, Tom and I are here talking the Twilight Saga New Moon. The 2009 movie directed by Chris Weitz. All right, Tom. We're mm. finishing it up. Mm-hmm. Now. Yes. Fucking fuck this movie. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I find... Okay, I haven't gotten to... Let me... <laughs> Let me just say some of my problems. Okay. One, 
We did talk about I this. I hope I never have you as my attorney. <laughs> we did talk about this at the beginning of the movie. I think these these movies do themselves a disservice from time to time because they're, for the most part, they're really good at living in their own world and sticking yeah. to their own whatever, their own idea of romance, of, of, of yeah. you know, what's going on in these people's lives. But then they, they themselves shoot themselves in the foot constantly <laughs> with stupid shit. At one point at the beginning of this movie, uh, Bella Swan says to him, she she says, you know, I'm dating an older man. He, you're 109. That's a little gross. Uh-huh. This is not what I want to be thinking about because even though he <laughs> looks her age, he shouldn't be interested a minor in her. complaint. So I'm just saying. Well, you said the movie has no subtext. There, you just got yourself some subtext. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, as a, as a, the, the, none of the comedy or anything works because no one's putting any effort no, into yeah. it. But I'll agree with that. Well, how about this but, though? I there is there is there are so many reasons for her to not be interested in either of these two main characters. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's, I think there are just through peppered throughout all of these movies. There are so many times where I'm saying, why does she care about either one of these guys? Mm -hmm. Robert Pattinson is, I just call him sad sack vampire. Constantly. I shouldn't be with you. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm I really, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this to you. Taylor Lautner, even worse. Well, sorry. <laughs> I'm being unfair now because it's Jacob, but then I'm mad Jacob. At. It's Jacob, Jacob that I'm mad at. Jacob Wolf. Jacob, Jacob the, Wolf. the Wolf. Constant sort of male bravado attitude. Yeah. That does not sit well disagree. with me. At one point, no. he says, uh, oh, and also on top of that, all of that, the characters in these movies make the the biggest assumptions as they, they base their choices off the world's biggest assumptions of what they believe will happen with no evidence to show that that will happen. He finds out he's yeah, a wolf. I'm... His first thing is, I can't see you anymore. I'll rip you to pieces. <laughs> this is the day after he said, I want to be with you forever. You know, that kind of shit. Yeah. Does that yeah, just lend itself have, to I, the teenage of it all? Like, well, I mean, I have some tangent tangential problems related to to that. Um, firstly, and I don't, and I don't think the movie's pointing this up. I think it is a flaw of these movies, and especially this one, that the emphasis is always on like praising the male characters for not giving in to their animal urges uh-huh. and restraining themselves and that's you know the emphasis you there's never you know it's never on on the female characters and their agency in right. this it's like you know it's like maybe maybe you're gonna get bit or you're gonna get ravaged at some point because this is who these guys you know, are they're guys yeah and um, all guys so, are monsters so uh, I don't like that, but I do think, you know, like this, these movies are, you know, a, a feminine perspective, which is not something we get in horror movies. And I think there is a sense in which, like, it it, it gets to the heart of female experience of, of, like, with men, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah, you either right. go to this kind of man or that kind of man. But the options out there are mm-hmm. great. Um, so I think some some of that is uh, like is is pointing up the fragility of men in quite a progressive way, and the other part of it is turning that back on on the female characters to say, also, but actually, no, you have to deal with it. And they're doing their best. <laughs> right. So that's that's kind of more uh, more my issue. But I, I'd be happy to pass off, you know, the irrational 
stuff you're talking about as being the part of the the teenage okay. of it all. Um, but but you you you're definitely onto something about something not quite something there's something missing in the way that these characters are represented yeah there's just something like um logic and reason right and right motivation there's something missing and i think it could be a variety of things um but yeah it is about i guess all especially for some reason monster movies more than any other kind of movies you have to accept a lot of nonsense just to enjoy the movie mm-hmm like that old adage that don't go and see King Kong if you're not willing to believe that a monkey can climb the Empire right, State right. Building. And for some reason, I don't know why monster movies always require that little bit of little bit more suspension of disbelief. Well, but not just that, because it's not just the audience, the characters too. Like it's so easy, mm. you know, for Bella to accept in that in the first movie in the series. It's so easy, like. Like, finding out that he's a vampire is not disqualifying for boyfriend material. And her finding out is not disqualifying to the vampire family. They're like, come on in the door. We were making you dinner. Oh, well, I I ate food because I know you don't eat food and you drink blood. Oh, aren't you pleasant? That's nice. You know, Mm. like, like, we get into the world so quickly you know, yeah. where everybody's just accepted that, that we're in the world with a vampires and werewolves, and it's just, you know, not a problem. Mm-hmm. But I, I also, you know, that doesn't bother me. Like, that's, you know, it's, I think it's... No, it doesn't bother me, I think me it's too. one of the things that, that, that uh, for whatever does work for this series, that's, that's one of the things that helps it work. And it's, I mean... It's it, it's interesting as well because it I, I, one of the things that's unique about this series is that they're they're completely whitewashed monsters you know vampires who don't drink blood and werewolves that don't eat people mm-hmm. um, but also you know there's there's like a hierarchy in there as well and like Be- Bella's basically got white privilege when it comes to monster right like she's at the one point you know it's like. You know, I'm just the wrong kind of monster, <laughs> yeah. and it's I had no coincidence that, that that you know he's got darker skin than the monster that she thinks is except, is, is like, the one that acceptable. she'll fall in love with forever. Yeah, and they're all you know, they're they're all Republicans of American past, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and the I the told you one of my notes the Native was, American community. Yeah, I told. It's not hard again. Like, there's no subtext here. It's not hard to figure out what that's about. <laughs> um, it's interesting that that's that that's at least called out uh, in this movie. But it's also hypocritical because this movie is is not dealing with vampires and werewolves in the socially transgressive way that we're used to. Mm-hmm. Like, they're both functioning members of. I don't know. Maybe that. Well, maybe that's more interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's think about it now maybe it's more interesting that they're like that they do fit into that they're not social misfits they do fit into society the patriarch is a is the you know town loving doctor right yeah Yeah. exactly so we're like but we're still making these kind of class and racial judgments about them irregardless of um of how integrated they are so maybe that's more interesting some of that's there and maybe some of it is just an oversight Mm -hmm. Uh, well, now, so, yeah. I mean, because we're kind of getting to it, does it, like, the moment where, where, you know, Edward decides, well, that's it. I can't live without her. Like, this yeah. doesn't bother you? What, 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 his turnaround? Not just his turnaround, but the manner in which it happens, because... Narratively, well, kind of it's so weak and stupid that he that right. he literally it's, doesn't it's, ask one more question about the death that Bella's father well, is attending might, to. Yeah, you know. But this is because so, the whole last thirty-five minutes of this movie wouldn't happen if he asked one more question. Yeah, and that's just bad writing. Well, tell that to William Shakespeare, but um. <laughs> 
Uh, y- yeah. I, William I, Shakespeare I was the, dealing the, with characters who didn't have fucking cell phones. <laughs> right. Um, in, uh, yeah, and the last part of this movie I, I think is weak for lots of reasons. But um, one thing, because it, 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 it establishes, it basically, the logic of the end of this movie is held together by these visions, which are established because it suits the story <laughs> at this particular time to be the visions of, is it Alice, his, his yeah. sister in the family? She has these visions, right? And these visions, at least in this movie, are self-fulfilling prophecies. So the thing that you that you're like, oh no, this terrible thing is going to happen, is something that you create by intervening in that and making it happen. Um, and that's what happens in this movie. Like it's a everything that she sees is a result of them going in there and trying to stop it and fucking things up. And so that's fine. Yeah, like, but if they don't, he dies. It's it's, mel- it's melodramatic and and nonsensical, but. That's what they've established it as, and that right. makes sense in this context. Except they spend the next three movies on on doing this idea of them being self fulfilling prophecies. Like sometimes they are, sometimes yeah, they're right. not. Sometimes it doesn't matter if you're involved in them. They not. You, but <laughs> so weirdly, I think the visions work best in this context. But they they definitely can't sustain it. But it, it is it just like it fills a plot hole. Um. But on the level of characters making decisions, yeah, I think I, that's literally, literally it. It's like they're, they're going, well, it's just like at the end of Romeo and Juliet. Right. Uh, but we're doing things differently because Shakespeare wasn't looking out for a sequel yeah. like we are. Um, I mean, they take such careful consideration for, <laughs> for poor Robert Pattinson to just assume that they're, that, that the death is Bella's. Then he crushes his yeah. cell phone. So, ah, uh, fuck, we can't call, you know. I mean, isn't he with other members right. of the family? Can't there, somebody else has a cell phone, I'm sure. Somebody who's closer yeah. to Italy. <laughs> but yet, right. like on the melodramatic turn, the whole thing about getting Bella there and the, you know, the race car and, you know, running in slow motion through the red hoods and, you know, hugging him, not... Not pushing him back into the building, you know, hugging him in the mm-hmm. sun on the fucking steps first. All right. of that's good melodrama. Yeah. It's just stupid. It, it's it's stupid. <laughs> yeah. But then we get But it, I think I think in the last sort of ten minutes it it, it, it wins me over again. In the last like, what? In the last ten minutes when they start to kind of uh, they drop a couple of bombshells, yeah. which yeah. carry us into the next movie really nice. No, and I, I like I like everything after that, to me, is kind of fun. I like seeing the vampire politics. Yeah. I, I've already stated, you know, how on board I am for Michael Sheen and his ridiculous acting. Um, yeah. I kind of even like the fast motion vampire fight in this movie. Hmm. I, you know... Didn't didn't do do much. I for thought me. I thought that was as good as it, it got in the entire series. Was that one fight? Interesting. I was with that guy who said, "Can we can we move on?" <laughs> the one sitting on the far left throne was like, "Can we move on?" I was like, "Yeah, this has been going on a while. I can do without this." Well, I yeah, but I, I mean, and then then you you know we the movie's priorities are laid bare at the end of the movie because we drop the bombshell with ten minutes to go. There's gonna be a monster war. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as she turns vampire, the treaty's done. Yeah. They're gonna to go to war, which kind of doesn't doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, but that's the at least as the audience, you're like, oh wow, I know what's coming. Um, but that's not the twist of the movie. No, twist of the movie is that he proposes, proposes of course, because these are ro- these are romance movies, and that's what. The people making it, and they assume the people watching it are more interested in. So the very the 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 bombshell of the movie is Christian Stewart's little <gasps> at the end of the movie, right. which is, I mean, the perfect amount of noise 
to end this movie. I'll agree with that. Because it's just like... That, I mean, you know, I did. I made that noise about five times watching this movie, <laughs> and I never went. I never went louder than that because wh- why, would, why you? would you? Because that's all it deserves. Did you make that but, noise on the first Forest Ghost appearance? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like uh, when she's saved in the water by Jacob, and her foot kind of makes the forest ghost disappear <laughs> kind of kicks the sand of the forest ghost <laughs> yeah that's another that's another area where i do wonder we could have done with a little bit of of uh, rule exposition as to how this mm-hmm. works before we saw it as to like okay you can you can appear what are the limits <laughs> Right. <laughs> the terms of this appearance, yeah. but it, yeah, it is the it's the kind of movie that is willing to do anything to fill a plot hole. It's like, well, how do we have them together even though they're apart? Force ghost projection, <laughs> right? It's not like the you know, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but in a few years, the Star Wars trilogy will come knocking at at the same door, right? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone loved that up to a point. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't see that, you know, I don't see the problem in this kind of, uh, in this kind of universe to be pulling that kind of shit. And it made just as little, just as little sense then as it did here. <laughs> uh, well, I also think, and also, you know, I, I like, a mo- I like a movie. Or like a movie series where they make us wait. Like, they don't give us just what we want when we want it. They go, you're going to have to wait a little longer. Yeah, no, yeah, I like that. We And it's even like, we haven't decided how many movies we're going to make, so I'm not going to say, we're not going to say when she when she's going to turn into a vampire. It might be a movie from now, it might be a couple of movies, we don't know. Mm-hmm. I like that. Confidence. No, I'm, I'm okay with that. Seriality. It's not like instant gratification, it's like... Something will happen at some right. point. Right, no, yeah. Don't you worry. But we're just not going to pin it down. We're not going to promise too much. J.J. Abrams. We're not going to, like, you know... <laughs> Damon Lindenhoff. We're not going to, you know, go like, this is going to be incredible, uh. guys. This is going to... We've got something great figured <laughs> out. It's more like... It's like, this is where we're going. You know this is where we're going. And it might take our time to get yeah. there. Confidence. In a, we- in in a, a weird, weird way. way. Uh, but delivered with with like no confidence or care <laughs> by the people saying these lines. I cannot disagree. That uh, well, anything left for you on the subject of New Moon before we sign off? Anything? An, an itch you got to scratch? Just to say, I have never met anyone more prone to life-threatening idiocy. Yeah. My note was, I think I told you earlier, why is this girl the epicenter of all monsters? Yeah. Let's, How did uh, this befall her? What? Uh, I think that's Anna Kendrick's line in the movie. <laughs> there are Greek chorus. Yep, they are. are. the ones we should they be They absolutely to. are. But I, you know, I find it interesting, too, because we're we're wrapping this movie up and we're about to get into Eclipse which is both of our favorite movie in the series. Yeah. Uh but that movie chooses to wrap up the storyline from the first movie. It takes 3 full fucking movies to wrap up that storyline, which to me is hysterical. Yeah, in in a weird way New Moon and Eclipse are more of a multi-part movie. Then, exactly. Than Breaking Dawn. <laughs> They're more they're more interconnected <sighs> as as stories because right. it's just basically it's the Victoria storyline which ends at the end at of the, the next end movie. of the next movie exactly all right well ladies and gentlemen that's it for the Twilight Saga New Moon if you got something on your chest that you gotta let us know about something we missed by all means let us know. Find the Everything Sequel Podcast, please, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. 
Please let us know what you think of the new moon. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. We're gonna, you're going to be hearing us next time for the Twilight Saga Eclipse. Say goodbye, Tom. Love spelled backwards is love. <laughs> done and done. Face punch. <laughs> Even the fake the fake movies in this movie are great. Yep. <laughs> All right, everyone. Stay tuned. Eclipse is coming at you soon.